Hello, it's Tax Credit Tuesday, and I'm Michael Novogratik. This weekly Novogratik Report on Tax Credits podcast is brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Previous discussions are available in our archives online at www.novoco.com podcast, or by subscribing to the Novogratik Report on Tax Credits in iTunes. Today is Tuesday, April 14, 2009. First up this week, we have recently released guidance from the IRS about two types of tax credit bonds for renewable energy. Next up, we explain legislation that was recently reintroduced in the House of Representatives that would tax all income generated from, quote, carried interests as ordinary income, as opposed to how current tax law allows some of this income to be taxed as capital gains. We will also continue our ongoing coverage of LIHTC allocating agencies as they implement the Recovery Act of 2009. Let's begin today's discussion with a summary of the latest guidance released for qualified energy conservation bonds and new clean renewable energy bonds. Unlike typical bonds that pay bondholders interest, tax credit bonds give bondholders a federal income tax credit. This allows the borrowers using these bonds to get below market even zero interest rate financing. Similar to bonds that provide tax-exempt interest, tax credit bonds are only attractive to investors that owe federal income tax. One interesting change included in the Recovery Act of 2009 is a provision that allows mutual funds to pass through to their investors the federal tax credits generated by these bonds. Congress hopes that tax credit bond mutual funds will spring up and become active investors in these bonds. Last week, the IRS released two notices related to these renewable energy tax credit bonds. The first notice concerns qualified energy conservation bonds under Section 54D of the Internal Revenue Code. Qualified energy conservation bonds were created in 2008 by the Tax Extenders and Alternative Minimum Tax Relief Act of 2008. The Recovery Act of 2009 amended Section 54D to increase the national bond volume cap authorization for qualified energy conservation bonds from $800 million to $3.2 billion. In Notice 2009-29, the IRS sets forth the maximum face amount of qualified energy conservation bonds that can be issued by each state including the District of Columbia and any possession of the United States. Because the amounts are calculated based on population, it's no surprise that the largest allocation under Notice 2009-29 goes to California, which was allocated $389 million of bond volume cap. Texas was next with $252 million, followed by New York with $202 million. Notice 2009-29 includes a complete table of how the national bond volume cap is allocated, and also provides some interim guidance for qualified energy conservation bonds. The second notice released by the IRS related to new clean renewable energy bonds. The Recovery Act of 2009 increased the national bond volume cap for new clean renewable energy bonds under Section 54C by $1.6 billion. Notice 2009-33 solicits applications for allocations of the present total national bond volume authority of $2.4 billion. This notice also provides related guidance and eligibility requirements that a project must meet to be considered for a bond volume cap. It also discusses application requirements and the application form for requests for volume cap allocations of new clean renewable energy bonds. Finally, the notice provides guidance on the method that the IRS will use to allocate the volume cap and offers related interim guidance. If you are considering applying for these bonds, the application deadline is August 4, 2009. Copies of both notices have been posted online at the Renewable Energy Tax Credit Resource Center. To download a copy of Notice 2009-29 or 2009-33, go to www.energytaxcredits.com. That's www.energytaxcredits.com. 
and click on the IRIS Guidance tab in the Renewable Energy Tax Credit menu. While you're at the Renewable Energy Tax Credit Resource website, we also encourage you to check out the agenda for our Financing Renewable Energy Conference in San Francisco, April 30th and May 1st. This conference will focus on using tax credits to finance solar, wind, and other renewable sources. This is an ideal time to get up to speed on renewable energy as the energy adjusts to the many changes and opportunities created by the Recovery Act of 2009. Moving on to our next topic, I'd like to take a look at legislation introduced earlier this month that would change the way income from, quote, carried interests is taxed and what that could mean for affordable multifamily housing. On April 3rd, Congressman Sander Levin of Michigan reintroduced legislation to tax compensation received from carried interests. The proposal would tax any income from an investment service partnership interest at ordinary rates, and it would tax any gains from the disposition of such interests at ordinary income tax rates also. The bill would, under certain circumstances, provide an exception from ordinary income treatment for a, quote, reasonable allocation of partnership income loss and cash flow to invested capital, as opposed to allocated to a partnership interest received for services. Currently, the managers of private investment partnerships, by virtue of their fund's partnership structure, are able to receive compensation for these services in the form of carried interests or carried partnership interests. Carried interests allow fund managers to share in partnership-level gains via ownership of a partnership interest and as such be subject to much lower capital gains tax rates of 15% rather than at ordinary income tax rates that top out at 35%. In 2007, similar legislation was introduced in the House of Representatives in an attempt to eliminate capital gains treatment of carried interests and to tax it as ordinary income. There is concern in the multifamily housing community that the proposed change in the taxation of carried interests will prove disruptive to the real estate industry. While the original focus of this tax change was the Wall Street hedge funds, opponents warn that an increase in the taxation rate of carried interests could adversely affect a number of industries, including real estate. Among the proposal's opponents is the National Multi-Housing Council, which warns that the bill could have numerous unintended consequences, including exacerbating the nation's affordable housing shortage. If enacted, NMHC says changes in the taxation of carried interest could affect a new development's financial viability. It will be particularly damaging to properties located, according to NMHC, in underdeveloped areas and could prevent much of, of the proposed new affordable housing from being built. Despite being defeated in previous incarnations, the carried interest proposal continues to resurface. In addition to the bill being introduced by Congressman Levin, a version of the proposal to change the taxation of carried interest was also included in President Obama's proposed budget. However, in an encouraging sign, both Senate Finance Chairman Max Baucus of Montana and Ranking Member Charles Grassley of Iowa expressed their belief that the current economic climate will make passage of the proposal in 2009 less likely. A copy of the measure, which was introduced as H.R. 1935, has been posted online at www.taxcredithousing.com. We will monitor the proposal and update listeners as and if it makes any progress. Finally, let's wrap up today's discussion with an update on the implementation of the Tax Credit Assistance Program, or TCAP, and the Tax Credit Exchange Program, both created by the Recovery Act of 2009. Last week, New York Governor David Patterson announced affordable housing grants for projects in New York, made with funds from the Recovery Act. 
As we discussed in previous podcasts, the Recovery Act created a $2.25 billion tax credit assistance program, or TCAP program, which is expected to help state housing agencies kickstart the production of stalled projects that rely on low-income housing tax credits. New York's share of these TCAP funds will be $253 million. These funds will be administered by the Department of Housing and Community Renewal in New York, or DHCR. The projects announced on April 6th are the first housing projects in the nation to be awarded funding through the Recovery Act. DHCR projects that the first nine projects to receive financing will create or rehabilitate nearly 1,400 units of affordable housing. Two of the projects received loan cash credits from the agency in June of last year. Although the tax credits have traditionally been the most effective and reliable source of equity for developers of affordable housing, the financial downturn has had a devastating effect on their value and has created funding gaps that have stalled many projects. Governor Patterson made the announcement in Harlem at the future site of Herbograph Apartments, which will be an eight-story building providing 64 units of affordable housing for low-income elderly and frail households. He was joined at the announcement by New York Congressman Charles Rangel, a leader in the fight for federal housing assistance. DHCR Commissioner Deborah Van Amringen also attended the event and said, quote, This funding will fill financing gaps and allow stalled developments to move forward and provide the affordable housing people need, end quote. Meanwhile, a couple of other states released drafts of their plans to use their share of the TCAP funds, as well as to explain how they'll approach the tax credit exchange provision of the Recovery Act. On April 8th, the Georgia Department of Community Affairs, or DCA, released a copy of its proposed implementation plan for the Recovery Act. The agency said it elected to post its proposed plan so that potential applicants can take positive steps to ensure that projects selected for funding can be shovel-ready as quickly as possible. A Q&A meeting on the proposed plan is scheduled for tomorrow, Wednesday, April 15th. The DCA said it carefully reviewed the needs of the Georgia Affordable Housing Program and formulated specific policy objectives that have been used in formulating its implementation plan for the Recovery Act programs. For instance, DCA said it believes that continued inclusion of syndicators in the funding of projects is a priority under the Recovery Act and is essential to the long-term viability of the tax credit program. Therefore, projects with syndication participation will be given priority in funding decisions. DCA also said that maintaining competitive pricing of tax credits is essential to the continued viability of the program. As a result, the agency will consider whether proposed pricing is reasonable in determining whether or not a project is eligible for Recovery Act funding. The agency said that in determining whether the pricing of credits is reasonable, it will use pricing data for similar projects as well as the $0.85 standard established through the Recovery Act exchange program. Additional details about Georgia's proposal can be found in its draft implementation plan, which has been posted online at www.taxcredithousing.com, and you can click on Hot Topics in the news menu. DCA noted that its plan was subject to change because neither the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development nor the Treasury Department had provided written guidance on the Recovery Act's programs. Last week, the Washington Post quoted Peter Grace, a special assistant to the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, as saying, it takes time to develop rules for new programs. He said, quote, we want to get this money out. We are committed to doing that, but we want to do it in a thoughtful way, end quote. In next week's podcast, we will talk about what we know so far about who is crafting the guidance on the TCAP and exchange programs and what kind of input they are receiving from the LHTC community and others. Also on April 8th, the Ohio Housing Finance Agency posted its draft implementation plan for the new programs provided by the Recovery Act. 
A final draft will be presented for approval during the board meeting scheduled for tomorrow, April 15th. In the draft plan, released last week, the Ohio agency said funds under the Recovery Act programs will be distributed in the following order. First priority will go to projects that were awarded competitive housing tax credits in 2007 or 2008 and have not yet closed with their credit investors. Second priority will be given to projects that receive a reservation of competitive housing tax credits in 2009 and have a reasonable chance to find investors at a reasonable price. Additional information about Ohio's plans, including the amount of funds the Ohio Housing Finance Agency expects to make available under the Recovery Act, can be found in the draft plan. In a related update, the California Tax Allocation Committee announced last week that it would not be holding two funding rounds, but rather only be holding a single LHTC funding round in 2009. This is a result of changes it is making related to the Recovery Act's provisions. In a memo released on April 8th, TCAC explained that its staff has proposed a regulatory framework that would allow competitive ceiling or 9% reservation recipients to obtain an equity partner letter of intent within 45 days following preliminary reservation. If applicants were unsuccessful in obtaining an equity partner, they could then return their 9% credits and compete for cash in lieu of credits. Under this plan, TCAC would likely re-reserve any return credits for waiting list projects. Those waiting list projects must have a reservation and a carrier allocation by December 31, 2009, in order for California to access national pool credits in 2010. State regulations specify that carrier allocations must occur by October 31 of each year. While TCAC could propose extending the 2009 state carryover allocation deadline, the December 31 deadline is federal and is immovable. TCAC says that holding a second round in 2009 could jeopardize California's ability to meet the federal December 31 carryover allocation deadline, and therefore California's ability to access national pool credits. In addition, projects receiving credit reservations after September 30, 2009 would be ineligible for tax credit assistance program cash awards under the terms of the Recovery Act of 2009. While staff would attempt to make cash from prior year return credits available for gap financing second-round projects, TCAC said that predictability of such funds being available is very uncertain. In light of these 2009 timing constraints, the memo said that TCAC will be conducting a single competitive funding round for 9% credits and for 4% plus state credit awards. The application due date will be June 9th, and the committee would make preliminary reservations on September 9th. To accommodate projects that had been preparing to compete in a second round, TCAC is proposing regulation changes that would provide more time for certain readiness requirements so that these projects can compete in the single round. Specifically, proposed regulations would allow applicants to assume public funding for which they have applied but have not yet received awards. In addition, applicants would not need to show local entitlements by the application deadline. Instead, applicants would have to provide local funding and entitlement and environmental approvals by August 17th. TCAC noted that entitlement and environmental approvals would include the completion of any appeal periods. The memo says that while TCAC recognizes the hardship this schedule adjustment places on sponsors who are planning on a second-round application, the committee staff hopes all stakeholders will recognize the greater public benefit to be derived under this new schedule. In the end, TCAC says that the schedule will provide the time to fully allocate all cash and credit resources available to California in 2009. For more information on the numerous changes being made at the state level as a result of the Recovery Act of 2009, I invite you to join us next month at our conference entitled 
quote, a look ahead, the LIHTC and the Recovery and Reinvestment Act. It will be held on May 13th and May 14th. This will be our annual New Orleans conference, and it's been redesigned to focus on the implementation of the Recovery Act and what lies ahead for the LIHTC community. To sign up, please go to www.novacode.com. I hope to see you there. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's report. We welcome listener feedback, so please send us emails at cpas at novaco.com or to me directly, michael.novagratic at novaco.com. If Novagratic and Company can be of assistance to you, your company, or your project, please give us a call. We can be reached at 415-356-8000. This is Michael Novagratic. I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.